All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and find 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Two weeks ago, we went all the way to verse 12. So today we're going to start in verse 13. And hopefully, um, hopefully an opportunity for us to learn um, something that we don't normally love to talk about. This week, this lesson is all about authority. All about authority. Now, for you as teenagers, you live in a number of spheres in your life where you are under different kinds of authority, right? So in your home, you have parents. In your church, you have pastors and teachers and leaders. You may be on a sports team or in a band. You may uh, be in a class. I mean, obviously, all of you are in class. You're in school. You have teachers. Uh, in your city, uh, you have law enforcement and other uh, officials that have authority over you. Your country, you have people who have authority over you. You get the idea. All of us live in uh, multiple kinds of spheres in which we're under authority. And sometimes those authorities in your life are really good. They love you. They care for you. They want what's best for you. And they want to promote you uh, in, in many ways. They want to promote your flourishing. But other times, authorities in your life are not very good. They misuse their power. They misuse their authority. And one of the things we have to wrestle with as Christians is how do we live rightly under authority? Our culture is allergic to authority because our culture wants us or the culture says you should want to be the authority of your own life. You should be the captain of your own soul. You, don't, you shouldn't want anyone telling you what to do or how to live. But God has wisely delegated authority to different spheres in your life and mine, both for your good and for his glory. And that's what Peter wants to get at this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, as he's writing to these exiles who are dispersed around the Roman Empire, specifically in modern-day Turkey. He wants them to know how it is that you as Christians, as exiles in a land that's not your home, might be able to stand firm under authority. So let's read our text together, and we'll learn some things together. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should, be, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself 
bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray before we go any further. God, we pray that as we read and study your word, you might meet us here, open our eyes to behold your glory, and transform our hearts and minds to be more and more like Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a couple things we need to learn together as we think about living under authority, standing firm under authority as exiles. So if you're taking notes, the first point is this. Christians submit to authority because God ordained it. Christians submit to authority because God ordained it. We need to slow way down and reread just the first verse and get the importance of what Peter is saying. He says in verse 13, be subject to the Lord's sake for to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. So let's just stop there. Now, when we read that, we read, okay, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So in Peter's mind, he's speaking and writing. We see this clearly. Specifically, he's talking about government, right? He's talking about uh, government leaders, rulers over us in the land that we live. Now, we don't know for sure the exact date when Peter wrote this letter, but it's pretty safe to assume, and, and most scholars believe that he wrote it at least in the time period when the emperor of the Roman Empire was a man named Nero. Now, Nero is the emperor that Peter is talking about. That you should be subject as a Christian. He's writing to first century Christians. You should be subject to this emperor. Well, Nero hated Christians. I mean, he hated Christians. He started a fire in Rome and blamed the followers of Jesus. And it led him to, to lead this charge in the Roman Empire to commit Christians to the worst kinds of persecution, the worst kinds of humiliation, and the worst kinds of execution. For example, Nero would throw lavish parties, and when the day became night, he would take Christians and burn them alive on stakes to use as torches to keep his parties going. I mean, this is the emperor. That Peter is saying to exiles, Peter is saying to Christians, you are to subject yourself to his authority. So what's the point? Every culture, including our own, every nation, including our own, every Christian, including us, needs to hear this message. The Spirit is speaking through Peter to us that we are called to submit to the leaders that God has ordained in our land. The character of the leader is not the question. It's the character of the exile. Are you and I people who submit to God-ordained authority? And he tells us in this passage why he sets up government in particular. It's for two things, to punish lawbreakers and to bless lawkeepers. So if you break the law, you ought to be punished. If you keep the law, you ought to be blessed. Now, you may think, how is it that in our culture we're blessed for keeping the law? Well, uh, it's through things like keeping the law that our society continues to flourish. And it's through breaking the law that lawbreakers are committed to prison or other kinds of punishment. Peter says, if we live obedient lives in the world... If you and I are faithful to submit to the authority God has put over us in our 
local context, then false accusations against us will be seen as foolish and ignorant. For example, in the first century, um, as in most cultures, cannibalism is illegal. You can't eat other people. That's just not a good rule to break, right? And so most cultures, almost virtually all cultures, have laws against cannibalism. And I think all of us would agree that's not a good thing to do. So when Romans would hear about Christians going to take the Lord's Supper as followers of Jesus, where they would break bread and drink wine and feast on his flesh and his blood. Well, if you don't know anything about Christianity, you're hearing that and going, these guys are nuts. Like they're meeting every week and like eating people. Like, I don't want to be a part of this. And And so some people would make these accusations against Christians saying that they're heathens, that they're wicked, that they're terrible people, and they would use that as an example. Well, this is a really clear example for us to see, right? Are Christians cannibals? No. And so living their life in obedience to the law under the authority of their rulers and leaders proves that these accusations that were lobbed against them were both ignorant and foolish. And students, in the same way, if you and I might live our lives in submission to good and right authority in the world, accusations that are brought against us will be seen as foolish and arrogant and ignorant. We submit. Look at verse 16. If you're reading from the translation I'm using, which is the English Standard Version, it says, live as people who are free. Now, every, this is a quick translation thing. Translators often have to fill in words that aren't there for the Greek to make sense in English. And so that word live in verse 16 is actually not in the text. And so what the translators are saying is that Peter is wanting them to continue to live in such a way that is in accordance with what he's talking about so far. But I would make the argument, I think other scholars would make the argument, that the word live should probably be the word submit. So it's not just that we're living in a certain way, it's we're living in submission in a certain way. We're living in obedience to the authority in a certain way. And how are we to live in verse 16? As people who are free. Students, you and I as Christians don't stand firm as exiles under authority because we're weak. We don't stand firm under authority in the laws of our land because the law of the land is supreme. We live as free people in submission to authority because God has all authority and we want to honor God. So so we're not beholden to any nation, any culture whose rules are Uh, man discovered, they're not supreme. They're good. We live in a culture that has good laws. But this nation is not eternal. God's kingdom is eternal. And so we submit in this nation as free people in Christ. Notice he continues, not to live as a way, we don't use our freedom to cover up evil. So, So because we're free in Christ, because we live as ones who are no longer bound We're no longer enslaved. We don't live that way so that we might sin and cover it up and claim our liberty and our freedom and our sins. There are people in the world who would say, you can follow Jesus as your Savior, but you don't have to follow him as your Lord. And in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a big conversation in uh, the church in America about what's called lordship salvation. Right? Can you have Jesus as Savior, but not as your Lord? There were these people who would say, oh yeah, you can live however you want, and as long as you believe Jesus is your Savior, you're fine. Well, the problem with that is 
you know a tree by its fruit, don't you? And so if, if I am living my life in a way that is abounding in sin, what I'm revealing to the world and what I'm honestly revealing to myself, although I'm still blind, is that I'm not free. If my life is riddled with unrepentant sin, if I'm walking in darkness, if I'm walking in sin, I am not free. I am still enslaved to sin. And so Peter is saying, you are free in Christ, not to live as a, in a way that covers up evil, because that would still be slavery. If we are in Christ, students, we are free. The chains of sin and death have been broken off of us, and we've now been given eternal life in Christ. But that gift of freedom, that gift of liberty, is never meant to allow us to merely do whatever we want. Biblical freedom and freedom in our culture are two different things. Freedom in our culture is to say, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Don't let anybody tell you that what you believe in your heart is true isn't true. You can live however you want. You can be whoever you want. You can identify as whoever you want. That's freedom. That's not freedom, not biblically. Worldly freedom is the ability to do whatever you want. Biblical freedom is the ability to do what you ought, to do what you were created to do, to do what you were made for. And that's what Peter is getting at. You now are free in Christ to live as you are called. So let's tease this out for some easy application. Because God has not just put you as teenagers under governmental authorities, right? You don't just live under mayors and governors and courts and police officers and things like that. No, you have teachers, you have coaches, you have other leaders who have authority in your life. And you're called to submit to them. So we should be known as Christians, we should be known as the most consistently obedient people. Not because we're slaves to rules. So we're not like holier than thou, I'm better than everybody else, and look at me because I'm awesome. No, we're living our lives in such a way that honors God because we honor the authorities that he's put in our life. We've been freed up to serve those whom God has put over us. And that's a good thing. If all authority is this idea that power is being used to take power from somebody else, then we have a big problem because God has all authority. And if we believe authority has an inherent problem, then we would say that God has an inherent problem and no one wants to say that. So we believe that God's good authority can be can be obeyed as he gives that authority out to others. Peter ends this section with four powerful little statements. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So just quickly, let's think about those things. Honor everyone. Every person you meet, every human being is an image bearer of God. Doesn't matter what they look like, their color, their size, their nationality, their intelligence. They are made in God's image. And because they are made in God's image, all of them, Christian, non-Christian, black, white, rich, poor, on and on we could go, are worthy of honor. They're worthy of respect. They're worthy of dignity. They're worthy of care. And so we as Christians are called, we as exiles in a land that's not our home, are called to honor everyone. You may disagree 
with people, but you are never given freedom to dishonor them. Love the brotherhood. Not only are we called to honor all people, but we're called specifically to show affection and love and care for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ alongside you. Right? Jesus says, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. So we've been called to show love to the brotherhood as a way to show the world whose we are. Fear God. So we honor everyone. We love the brotherhood. We obey and submit to authority. But there is one person. There is, or there is one being. There are three persons. There is one being in all creation whom we are to fear. And that is God. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, we learned about what biblical godly fear is all about. That it is this trembling, awestruck delighting in, loving towards God. Biblical fear causes us to run towards God, whereas sinful, unrighteous fear causes us to run away from God. We're to fear God. So you are free in Christ to do what you were made to do, but notice this. Total allegiance belongs to God alone. If God is the only one that you and I are to fear, that means we don't have to sit in submission when we're called to sin or when we're called to things that do not honor God. So total allegiance is not given to a teacher. Total allegiance is not given to a coach. Total allegiance is not given to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Total allegiance is given to God alone. And last, honor the emperor. Even Nero, even a wicked, God-hating, Christ-dishonoring ruler who doesn't seem fit for office, even this one who you think does a terrible job at his job deserves honor. So let's translate that to 2021. There are people in authority over us that we may disagree with. There are people in authority over us that we may think are unfit for the job. That is no opportunity for us to dishonor them. And it doesn't free us from submitting to their leadership and submitting to their authority. But does submission to these authorities just mean mindless obedience? Does submission to these authorities mean that we don't really have a say in the matter, that we don't really have a choice in the matter, we just do what they say, no questions asked? Well, no. Because we believe that only God is to be feared. We must obey God rather than men, Peter says in Acts. But that requires some explanation in a second point. So, so Christians are submit to, to, to submit to authority because God ordains it. But number two... Christians submit to authority even when it's not fair. And this is going to be the one that's a little tough. Christians submit to authority even when it's not fair. It's tough for a couple of reasons. We'll get into it. In verses 18 through 20, Peter tells us to submit even when it's not fair, even when the ruler over us is unjust. And he uses the concept of slaves and masters to teach this principle. Now, let's be really, really clear. Slavery is Sinful. Man-stealing is sinful. And oftentimes, that's what slavery was in the first century. Kidnapped, be conquered, brought into servitude. 
Owning other people is sinful. And Peter's call for Christian slaves to be subject to their masters should not be seen as an affirmation for slavery, but instead a call for how to live in a broken world. Peter is saying, look, that's where you are. If you're a slave, that's where you are. Later, he will say, or Paul will say in other places, if you can get your freedom, get it. But Peter is saying specifically to servants, to slaves right now, as you exist as a servant, as you exist as a slave, you are to follow and honor Christ in these ways. Slavery in the first century was quite different from what we immediately think of when we think of the word slavery. We think of transatlantic slave trade. We think of whites owning blacks in South United States or all across the country. That's not what's happening here, but it's not totally different either. But Peter's point is to be subject to both good masters and bad ones. Notice he says in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You're to show honor and respect and submit yourselves to them, even if they are just or unjust. He says that slaves do something commendable. My translation says it is a gracious thing when we do this. Other translations say it's a commendable thing or it's to your credit when you do these things. When mindful of God, so you're thinking about honoring God, you're thinking about following his word, you endure sorrows unjustly. In other words, when you suffer unjustly, when something happens to you that you don't deserve and you endure it, God sees it. God knows it. And this is to your credit. It's commendable. It's a gracious thing. It honors the Lord. It will be rewarded at the last day. It's not to your credit if you sin and are beaten or punished for it. That's what Peter says. So if, let's say, uh, a modern application of this, because none of us are enslaved, but we will hopefully one day have jobs. And so uh, a modern day application is you have a boss, okay? And that boss gets onto you for... Uh, let's just say you're, you're late like three times in a week and he gets on to you and says that he's going to write you up or you're going to get in trouble or whatever if you keep showing up to work late. That's not an opportunity for you to say, man, he's just getting on to me because I'm a Christian. And the reason why I'm late is because I'm praying with my eyes closed in the bed, right? Like, it's not an opportunity for us to somehow play the, the victim card and identify ourselves as this just poor pitiful me who's getting in trouble. No, it. That's not to your credit. (laughs) You did something wrong and you're being punished for it. That's, That's not what he's talking about. What Peter is talking about is when you suffer unjustly, when when you do the right thing and it's not noticed, or when you do the right thing but it's seen as the wrong thing. It is a gracious thing, Peter says, a commendable thing in the sight of God. Now we need to think a bit about what this looks like for us today. Here's what it doesn't look like. You and I are never, never required, called to, ought to, sin in obedience to authority. So if someone in authority tasks you to do something that would cause you to sin, don't do it. Don't do it. For example, let's say you're a secretary. So it's your job to... to, Do whatever this boss tells you to do. Make phone calls, set up meetings, write correspondence, do different things. Make calendars. And let's say your boss is just a terrible guy. 
Terrible guy. Mean, he's crude, he's vulgar, he mistreats his employees, he takes advantage of other people, he's a shrewd businessman, and he asks you to write some correspondence. Well, it's not an opportunity for you to say, well, you're a mean guy, and I'm a Christian, and so no, I will not edit your calendar. Like, that's not the stand on which we want to make, right? Being subject to him, being in submission to that authority means that you write the letter or you change the calendar or you do what he asks you to do. But let's say he asks you to write a letter to bribe someone or to extort money from someone or to blackmail someone in order to take advantage of them. That's where we draw the line. You see the difference there? The character of the leader is not in question when we're to submit to authority. If he asks us to write a letter or to change the calendar or to set up this meeting, that's not where we say, well, I'm following Jesus and I can in good conscience do that because Google Calendar is just one step too far, right? But if he says, hey, I need you to, I need you to really turn the screws on this guy and, and remind him that I know this and this and this and this, so he better give us this deal. Okay, that's when we we now become complicit in sin. And that's when we say, I must obey God rather than men. And so now you have a choice to make. Will you honor God or will you submit to sinful leadership? Or or let's say you're on a sports team and your coach is not the best person. Let's say he's often angry with his players. He's unfair to some of them. He, He has favorites. And he tells you one day, he just has his eye on you and just says, hey, run the drill again. Hey, run the drill again. Hey, run the drill again. And it's like he's just beating you down. We run the drill. We submit to the authority that God has put over us. But let's say the next day he notices that you're not doing too hot in, I don't know, chemistry. And he comes to you and says, hey, I've talked to the the teacher Here are the answers to that next exam. Make sure you make an A on that so you can stay eligible to play. Well, that's when you, again, have a decision to make. Are you going to cross the line and not submit to the Lord in order to submit to sinful leadership? Or are you going to honor God rather than men? So submitting to authority, even when it's not fair, is not a point that I'm making for you to submit to sin. We're never to submit to sin. We're never called to sin. It never honors God to obey authority that dishonors God. Sometimes your authorities will treat you unfairly when you stand up for holiness. Sometimes they will take advantage of you. Sometimes they'll just take advantage of you because you're a person and they're a person. And we live in a broken world. Like if you don't think in your life you're going to be in a part of a job or a part of an organization that is made up of sinners and you're not going to be taken advantage of, it's time to grow up, my friends. That's going to happen. Things are not going to be always fair. Things are not always going to go your way. I mean, think about just think about siblings, right? I mean, like you have brothers and sisters, and often, right, like somebody starts it, right? And it's never you. It's never you. But when you start to retaliate for whatever reason, like that's the moment dad walks in the door. And all he sees is you slugging your brother, right? And you're like, and he's like, I don't care. 
Like, what did I see? I saw you do this, and there, that's it. And you're like, it's so unfair. Like, he gets away with everything, right? But if your whole life is built around, well, it's, it's this tit-for-tat kind of thing. This, so you do something to me, I'm going to do something to you. You hurt me, I hurt you. You take advantage of me, I take advantage of you. You dishonor me, I dishonor you. That's not the law of Christ. That's not the way Christians live. That's the way animals live. But notice what this kind of Christ-like submission does. When we live out this kind of life, it removes our cause for grumbling and complaining. It frees us up to not find ourselves down in the pit of despair, moping and complaining and grumbling that things aren't fair. It removes our desire for vengeance or revenge or envy when things don't go just the way we wanted them to go. It actually frees us up when we're overlooked for someone else's blessing or someone else's commendation. It frees us up to not be so introspective that we can't celebrate with our friend. We've been freed by Christ to endure hardship which is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is not a license to join another sin, nor is it a blanket command just to be sinned against. So if you're being taken advantage of, if you're being abused, if you're being harmed, for example, know that that authority in your life that's being abused and harmed and taken advantage of is not the only authority in your life. And you can appeal to other authority. So let's say you're being taken advantage of, you're being harmed, you're in a position where you're being assaulted and abused. Well, that's why you call the police, for example, or you go to a trusted leader, you go to another authority who can actually do the right thing. Never believe the lies of the enemy that says you're by yourself, you're all alone, there's no one who will listen to you, there's no one who will believe you, there's no one who will take you seriously. The misuse and the wicked abuse of authority is an abomination. And don't believe for a moment that you're just, that's just your cross to bear. But when you've been taken advantage of and overlooked and things are unfair at home or at school or at your job, we as Christians have an opportunity to learn to submit to those that God has put over us. And when we endure unjust suffering and we think nobody else knows what I'm going through, nobody else sees what I'm, I'm having to deal with, God sees and God knows and God rewards. And quickly, our third and final, port, third and final point is this. Christians submit to authority in obedience to Christ's example. When you suffer unjustly, when you're taken advantage of by authority that's misused, you can know for sure that your Savior and your Lord knows exactly what that's like. He knows exactly what that's like. We've been called to this kind of life. We've been called to stand firm in this kind of way as exiles because Christ did these things. Jesus left us an example, Peter says, so that we might follow in his steps. If anyone on the planet had a reason to complain about unfair treatment, it's not you, it's Jesus. If anyone on the planet had reason to disobey unrighteous authority over him, it was Jesus. But he paid taxes, and he went to the synagogue, 
And he obeyed the laws of the land. And he honored his mother and father. And on and on we can go because he never sinned. He led by example for you and for me. Over and over in this little passage at the end of chapter 2, Peter is quoting from Isaiah 53. And that's a passage that we learned about last spring, this prophecy of the man of sorrows coming to be crushed and pierced for sinners to take on their guilt and their sin and their shame and it being the will of God to crush him, that by his wounds we've been healed. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus and now it's given as a model for you and for me. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't respond to mistreatment of authority sinfully. Neither did he speak sinfully of them. And that whole idea of there's no deceit found in his mouth, he doesn't speak an ill word. I, I need to hear that. I think you need to hear that. Because it's really, really easy in our culture to maybe not sin flagrantly in someone's presence, but to talk about it. And to have a critical spirit. Or maybe to go to social media and be critical about it. When he was reviled or suffered, he did not respond in kind. Instead, he entrusted himself to God, who is the only just judge, the one who will make all things right, the one who will always be righteous. What an example that instead of crying foul, he handed it over to his father. Instead of complaining and grumbling and going on and on and not letting things go, he he goes before his father and says, Lord, I know you will make things right. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. There it is right there. That's the gospel in a verse. And that's the hope that we need. Because here's the deal. None of us have measured up to this model. Like None of us submit to authority rightly. None of us have kept our mouth shut when we needed to. None of us have endured suffering when it was precious in God's sight. No, no, no. We revolt when our authority is threatened. We attack when our authority is threatened in our own lives because we want control. We believe the world because the world is only saying what our heart naturally wants to say. We want to be the king. We want to be the queen. We want to be in control of our own life. So we have failed miserably in the things that God is calling us to do. So what do we need? Well, we need a champion who was faithful when we were faithless. We need a savior who endured the wrath of our sin for us. We need this good news that Jesus saves sinners because we're all sinners. Because we were straying like sheep, Peter says. But now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And this Jesus is now our shepherd who doesn't just lead the way, but has made us a part of his flock Shepherds are in constant authority over their sheep. And if we have been mistreated by authority, if we've been taken advantage of by authority in the world, if we've been overlooked because of sinful authority, we can trust that our authority in our shepherd Jesus will never, never disappoint us. He's always leading us to our good. He's always leading us to where we need to be. Because he found us in a bad place. 
He found us in our pride and in our sin and in our hardness of heart, and he rescued us by his grace. And now he looks over our very souls. That's what Peter says, the overseer of our souls. As you and I walk in exile, as you and I walk in this world that's not our home, living under authority that's not glorified, this side of heaven, he watches over us as our shepherd. He watches over us as our overseer. And that grace, that life, that redemption from your sin can be yours if it isn't already. We won't rightly submit to the God-ordained authorities in this world without the grace of Christ who both leads by example and fills us with our spirit. So if you are not walking and living under the authority of Jesus, the offer stands and it really is that free that if you are weary and heavy laden, you can come and find rest. And if you are walking and living under the authority of Jesus, you need to be reminded, I need to be reminded that the authorities in our lives are not there by accident, but they are there because God has ordained them to rule over us in such a way that we might respond in obedience to glorify God, to show the world that we honor everyone, that we love the brotherhood, we honor the emperor, we fear God. Let me pray. God in heaven, I pray that you might do your work among your people today to show us that authority and submission is not a bug in the history of humanity but it is a good gift that you have given. Because God, you have all authority. You reign and rule as the sovereign king. And you have seen fit in your wisdom, in your kindness, in your love, in your goodness to put authority in our lives. So Lord, help us to be subject to these authorities. Help us to submit ourselves, to to obey the, the leaders that you have given us whether that be in government or in our schools or at our jobs or on our teams or at our church, in our homes. Help us, even when it's unfair, even when we're overlooked, to, to count the cost and to lay our complaints and our grumblings at your feet. Lord, I pray that if any of us are unjustly suffering from an abuse of authority, that they might be given strength to endure and the courage to appeal to a higher authority. Lord, help us to be helpful in those instances. Lord, we pray you might have your way among your people today. In Jesus' name, amen.